listeners, welcome to the Unions 21 podcast. I'm Becky Wright. I'm Simon Sapper. And today, well, in this episode, we'll be talking about change in unions. How do we go from point A to point B? Indeed, and hopefully not lose people along the way. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we we all we can all picture <laughs> perilous Go save yourself. Continue onwards. And this is a really interesting topic. I think a lot of unions know or have had to do some form of change. You certainly should be because the environment's been changing around us almost constantly. So how do we do that? What's the best practice for it? What are the starting blocks that we can put together so that we can make sure that we change when we need to change and we do it positively how do we even have the the words the language the tools that we need to uh, to understand what change looks like and so in this episode we're talking to betsy dillner from the social change agency and later on we'll have dean rogers who's just migrated from the national association of probation officers over to the society of radiographers where he starts as their director of industrial strategy next week but first over to betsy so welcome to the podcast, Principal Director of The Social Change Agency, Betsy Dillner. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining us. The Social Change Agency, kind of, it's, the name is on the tin. It absolutely but, but is. But what in practice does that mean? What is social change from your, and how do you affect it? Well, that's, that's sort of what we do as, a, as an agency, is we do consultancy, we do programs, we, do, we, we sort of start our own movements where we think that they need to happen. But mostly it's the how. You know, we are, there's a lot of us in movements, whether it be the labor movement, whether it be the feminist movement, whether it be climate change movement, we all know why we're there. We all know why we, we do this hard work, but we still haven't quite figured out the how. Mm. How is the best way to do that? And if we had, then we'd all be, you know, sitting in Tahiti drinking cocktails instead of <laughs> doing this this really important work that we all do. And so at the Social Change Agency, we try to dig down into the practicalities of how you make social change happen. And what would you say is the sort of biggest challenge for an organisation that's really committed to a particular idea, making a start on this this journey? I think you need to be really clear about what the impact that you want to make. And to be clear, it doesn't necessarily mean whether you're a trade union, whether you're a charity, whether you're a business, whether you're the head of a family. Like, what is the change that you want to see? And make sure that that is the guiding light, because the how should always change a little bit, because mm. you've got to, to move with the times, the world changes, people change, you change. And so you need to be a little bit adaptable. But that, that, that guiding light of what is the impact that you actually want to make should always be the thing. Like, are we getting there yet? Okay, if we haven't gotten there yet, then what do we need to tweak? in order for us to get there quicker. So changes it changes the means to an end, not an end in itself. And what what do you think uh, organisations need to be able to identify the what so they can work out the how? I think it's more important the why. You know, Ooh. I mean, I think there's all this stuff about purpose and yeah. like purpose in brands and all this, this noise that goes around in, in sort of the the social business world and but it's like why do you even exist because I think very often those of us who who have social change at the heart of what we do especially mm. inside organizations so long as you're existing so long as you can keep the lights on that you're 
that you have volunteers that keep showing up like Mm -hmm. in some ways you're like well we're doing it right because people keep showing up or you know we fundraised another 100 grand this year and so therefore we can keep employing our staff but you haven't ever really sat down to be like why are we here and are we actually getting to that purpose yeah it can be quite hard can't it because if you ask that question why sometimes the answer might be something that you're not quite ready for you Mm -hmm. know it could be actually maybe we're not the right organization or what maybe we're not the right thing for the here and now and that takes a lot of courage yes indeed (laughs) (laughs) this is looking at me really knowingly I'm like yeah but it is isn't it because I think you have to be ready for the answer of either this isn't working the way we want it to work because we're not having the impact that we want and we or we don't know why yeah and why is it that we don't know why or actually maybe we are just existing to service the organization and not to actually enforce the change exactly and and also the other we we have our signature thing the movement building canvas which is a framework about what are the elements that go into a movement building canvas and at the core of that is called the movement identity and it's the shared purpose shared values and shared experience mm. very often people go through and it's like what is that inside your organization inside your network inside your movement and very often they're like well I know what I think these things are but I have mm. no idea if my colleague or my volunteers will have the same answer and that's quite tough us like that's quite telling maybe it's time to sit down and have that conversation yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a it's a, a form of stakeholder mapping isn't it yeah. <laughs> and, and, and actually some people the concept is an entirely novel new frightening one for, yeah. for a lot of people but but also i think that i've had similar discussions throughout my time in the trade union movement to that one like yeah. do you know what it is that you're trying to achieve as a union and people be like, yes. And they go, what is it? And they go, <laughs> like, hand over mouth. Like, you know, I'm doing the visuals for podcasting, which works really well. Or they'll give an answer which is impenetrable. And so you're like, well, do you really understand that? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, well, does your colleague think the same thing? And everybody yeah. will be like, oh, uh, I don't know. John, do you know? Yeah. And they'll be like, oh, I just said something. A bit different. Yeah. Because it should be something that you feel in the gut mm-hmm. and that like very often, especially as us as consultants, we can come in and start wordsmithing. Well, what do you mean by that word? And what do you mean for that word? And you can end up in this, this endless, what does it mean for empowerment versus giving power or power over and it's just like that I I don't know if is a helpful exercise, but also like if everybody can feel it and also the descent like there's a mm. there you get a room of people and they're always going to have a little bit of a different view but so long as you have those core values yeah that people can feel and that they they express in their behavior when they're acting inside the movement like that is that's what's what's most important wow i mean that, i mean i would agree entirely yeah. but i'm just <laughs> i mean listeners continuing the, the visual theme both betsy and 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 Becky, you're looking at me, and I've got this kind of vacant look on my face at the moment. <laughs> I know I have, which is, which is because I'm thinking back to the discussions I've had around those themes, or the discussions I've attempted to have or been part of, where people don't have the same values. They have feelings in their guts, but they are diametrically opposed rather than mm-hmm. con- 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 convergent. And it's really hard, especially when you've got kind of silo-based organisations, which mm-hmm. unions tend tend to be, to find the common ground. Yeah. And that, so they're, they're, therefore. Any attempt to do that is a positive thing, 
bloody hard thing, but yep. but a vital first step, I would imagine. Yeah, you can't you can't you can't skip that step and move straight to to step two. Yeah. Well, I was going to say actually, I think that we might all make the assumption within the trade union movement that we're we we all have shared values, and I think broadly we we do, mm-hmm. but I think maybe sometimes how we express them and how we recognise them in others. Mm-hmm is a different thing you know like i just sometimes i think people don't realize that we're coming from it from the the same position we just have slightly different ways of expressing ourselves and i i kind of wonder you know like when we break unions down into kind of the politics of unions and all that kind of stuff actually nine times out of ten i would say people are coming at it from a from a shared value it's just they interpret it differently or they feel it slightly differently and the challenge is how do you kind of build a bridge between everybody yeah and i think it's really interesting because there's those three things and they're a bit of the same Mm. of that shared experience shared values and shared purpose right Mm. so a lot of people for very often especially in trade unions or like in a particular work environment they might have completely different political values, mm-hmm. right? But they all have the same shared experience of not having a voice in the workplace mm-hmm. or having terrible experiences in their workplace and the shared purpose of actually shifting that power and having some power, but their values might be a little bit all over the place. And so do you need to, sh- do you, does it, there's a, a question about, do you need to make it a requirement to be a part of the labor movement to have sort of like, this sort of left-leaning or socialist kind of views of the Labour Party, for example, mm. when you may not share those values, but you do have the experience and the purpose of coming mm. together mm. and having a voice in the workplace. And I, mm. and that mm. is a sticky situation to be in. Yes, but it's also it's also a helpful. I mean, yes. it, it gives you room for manoeuvre. Yeah. you can say you you know it doesn't matter which part of the left or the centre yeah. you are put that to one side there is there is a common set of values underneath that we might call them different things yeah. but actually there is some common ground that we can yeah. we can stand on and that is when i think it's in, uh, when it's valuable to articulate your values because mm-hmm. if somebody looks at the trade union is like well i know that they're like that trade union is supporting so and so candidate and i definitely would never vote for them so why would i join an organization that's supporting that and that's when you kind of need to to be able to articulate what what those values and that sort of association inside the movement means to the organization so that other people can feel mm. like oh, okay i am a part of this mm. and, and when you get to that spot when, when you if you like you peel away the layers of the onion or, or yeah. you, you get you find that common ground or can construct that common ground that the, the energy that getting to that point generates is really kind of transformational can be transformational Absolutely. isn't it because it feels mm. really good because you suddenly realize actually mm. I thought I was miles away from that person sitting on the other side yeah. of the room, but yeah. we're not. Yeah. And we have a common purpose and a, and a common vision. Yeah. Mm. So once you and the, through the social change agency, yeah. do, do that, get to that stage. Yeah. How do you, what then happens in terms of your cha- model of change and your change process? Well, then you go through the movement journey, right? And that's what do you actually bloody do, right? Movements need to move. <laughs> it's in, it's in yeah. the name. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. very nice yeah. to sit around at the pub and talk about values versus politics versus you know like, all of this theoretical gut feeling underpinning of what we do but you actually have to do something yeah and it can't just be the same thing all the time it's a journey it's a long so, it's a long yeah. haul so mm. if you're just 
you know, doing this sort of command and control, like the way that you join the movement is you pay your dues and then someone else goes off and do something. How do you actually make sure that you incentivize um, them staying into it for the long haul? But mm. also, how are you engaging them? How are yeah. they engaging with each other? Like not yeah. just, especially with organizations that have staffs or leadership positions, they often think about, well, how how are we engaging with our members? But how are your members actually engaging with each other mm -hmm. um, is really important. And if you think about the web of a network, very often many organizations these days are are very hub and spoke. Yeah. Say, thinking yeah. about a wheel. Yeah. Um, I'm making all these gestures with my hands on a podcast, which is not helpful. <laughs> but if you think about a spider web, like what are the connections between those yeah. those things? Well, I mean, I think actually a union that is demonstrating that quite effectively at the moment is the University College Union. They're currently undertaking strike action as we're uh, recording today, in fact. But you do see a lot of their members are on Twitter because of their academic work mm -hmm. and during the last strike and I think even during this strike you can see people like connecting with each other explaining to each other I saw somebody say I, I've never what does crossing a picket line mean you know and members very politely very nicely explaining to that person what it is I think there is definitely something something to that and also when you said about movement I was like yes because I think often we are stuck in a series of actions that worked before mm -hmm. and it's not always we don't often think about it as well how does it help us to move mm -hmm. and also uh, it might have been effective at some point but doesn't mean it's going to be effective now absolutely as things move on <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially as the you know the world of work changes yeah. and also you know, like, well, I'll speak from what I know, which is Ooh. me. Like, I come from multiple traditions of trade unions, which I think, I think trade unions brought my family out of poverty. And therefore, I value it quite highly. But I've got this nice, fancy title of principal director. I'm on the senior management team on the executive board. I am everybody else's boss. I pay my, my dues to my trade union. But it is very difficult to find a way to engage with it with where I sit. But mm. I'm part of the movement because I value it, not mm. because I need some I need some help at bargaining yeah. with with my boss, because I am basically my own boss. Yeah. Right? So my I've told everybody I've ever managed to join a trade union just just flat out. I just think it's a good thing to do. No one has ever done it, not a single person. They're like, well, I have a good relationship with you. And that's the narrative that people have thought about the movement is you yeah. join the trade union movement when you have this horrible management that doesn't respect you and you have to go and use collective bargaining to get any kind of rights. And they're like, well, that's not for me. And so mm. thinking about how does the, the labor movement engage with people who are outside of that tradition of yeah. how things have always worked quite well that gained yeah. the power and the strength of the trade union movement. Yeah. How are you engaging with people in a different way? Yeah. It's interesting that there's this idea that sort of justice and unionism is not appropriate for all, each and every circumstance. Yeah. Actually, it's about people getting getting on rather than getting even, which is which is what you know yeah. we we've heard a number of times from speakers guests we have on, have on the podcast before and, it, and you, what you say is true I think Bet Betsy that actually there unless there is an immediate kind of cause and effect people might say well I, I won't join today or I don't see the need or, or not 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 working in this place yeah, yeah. Um, or not with you as my as my my boss yeah. um, that's a, a general challenge for the movement I think mm -hmm. you could work you could you could have a change process in 
organizations where the motivation is very different where it's mm -hmm. a, where it's a transactional relationship a profit-based rela re relationship uh, you know a number you know even a number of followers you have on Twitter sort of yeah. relationship it, but those are those are quite kind of empirical hard me measures as opposed to something that's more qualitative here I mean here, here's another here's a sort of a, a challenge which is if you want change to happen where does change start so is it with leaders of organizations is it with the kind of grassroots is it all of it is does it depend i'm just thinking of various conversations i've had especially over the last couple of weeks where people have either said like i'm in the middle of like my organization and i want to make it better how do i lead from the middle uh, or even like I think this is really important, but I can't get my senior leadership involved. We need change. And also I've had people say, I'm at the top and I'm finding it really hard to make a change. Yeah. Is it a combination of all of those things? Does everybody have to get there first or do we need somebody to make that first step and who is that person or yeah who are i mean I, I think that i think the the what i would do is a little plug <laughs> um because i think no matter no matter who you are and where you are if if we didn't believe fundamentally that change could happen from the grassroots we wouldn't be a part of movements right mm. so even if you are just a, a new dues paying member to a union you're like i want to change this you should do it. You should change. <laughs> like if you're at the leadership and you're finding it hard, you should still do it. Like if you feel it should always be guided by that impact, mm. right? As opposed to the newest thing. Yeah. You know, a yeah. lot of times you always hear these these phrases that mm. kind of get picked up and everybody does it and you're like, I should just do that. But I would say that no matter who you are, in whatever whatever form it takes inside a movement is you should find what uh, I recently found out was called an island of sanity. <gasps> if you're inside an institution and you're trying to make a change against the grain, that's hard work and it's yeah. so make sure that in those moments you have an island of people who, who kind of get it yeah. and maybe are trying to do that, whether it be in another organization Ooh. or whether it be inside your organization or just a community of practice of people who are thinking about things differently. That's why we started the Losing Control Network, uh, which kind of, again, says what, does what it says on the tin, is we really think that in order to unleash social change, we need to be able to distribute leadership and distribute power quite and not hold on to it this mm, sort of mm. command and control style mm, mm. doesn't allow people to move in movements and so we uh, have a network that's free to join you can do it go to losingcontrol.org and it's essentially people from across sectors thinking okay if we want to distribute leadership if we want to start thinking about different models of social change how do we do it and it's that safe space to be like Mm. I, I've done this and it worked mm. really well but there was a thing here does anybody else feel that way you know mm -hmm. it, it's that island of sanity where people can go and because like I said if all of us had figured this out yet we would <laughs> We would be on, on the beach. That's, 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 <laughs> Very specifically, we wouldn't sure. be on the yeah. island of sanity. We would exactly. be in the island of happy place. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if, if listeners want to find out more about the Social Change Agency and the, the change journey, yeah. the website is? Thesocialchangeagency.org and you can download the Movement Building Canvas, which I've uh, alluded to here for free. Wonderful. Betsy, thank you very thank much you, for Betsy. spending time with us. Thank you. Well, it, that was great, wasn't it, Becky? Always good to see Betsy and, and hear her views on change. Yes, and I thought it was really interesting to get a view from outside of the trade union movement, but 
with all things, how do we make it applicable to us? Let's head over to Dean. That was very smooth. (laughs) We're delighted to welcome Dean Rogers to the podcast now. Dean, previously Assistant General Secretary of the National Association of Probation Officers, but just about to start as Director of Industrial Strategy at the Society of Radiographers. Dean, thank you very much for joining us. Hello, Dean. Hello, thank you. We'll come to your hopes and, and initial thoughts about the SOR perhaps later on in, in our discussion, but but listeners, the reason why we particularly wanted to call a Dean for this podcast was because of the change programme that I think it's fair to say you drove through and with <coughs> NAPO. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, listeners will have heard Betsy talk a lot about change and I think it's quite easy when you hear people from outside the movement talk about change and how you do it and then go well it doesn't apply to us or it's really hard in the trade union movement and so we thought actually we need to talk to somebody who has Mm. done this in the trade union movement and knows how hard it is Mm. or knows how easy it is dean's looking at me to say no it was really hard um so dean can you talk us through that change process at napo okay well um start by saying it wasn't easy but it was really important and it is incredibly necessary and it was incredibly necessary. You can't really look at what we did in NAPO without having a sense of the context that the union found itself in. So a lot of trade unions, it's been around 100 years or so, very comfortable in its field, very well respected, recognised as one of the part of the establishment, part of the furniture of probation. And then in 2014, Chris Grayling came along and an earthquake hit the operating environment. And essentially, probation is still feeling the aftershocks now. So NAPO was in a position where it had been, if I'm honest, um, a little bit complacent, very comfortable, recognised there were things that probably needed to change, but it was in no great urgency, no great rush. It was easier not to. And then the earthquake hit and we had no choice. We lost an awful lot of experienced reps, experienced activists and everything about what we were doing suddenly had to change. Mm -hmm. So I was tasked with looking at, first of all, what we did at headquarters and then building a strategy and a plan to get the union stabilised and then growing again. And that is what we managed to achieve over the following four four years or so. So, I mean, the the interesting thing about that is that that it's not a question of of trying to trying trying to achieve change when actually there's a general view that everything's fine as it is. There was a, the, mm. the iceberg had melted, as it were, and you you needed to decide what to do. But but that doesn't necessarily mean that that unions have the tools available or immediately visible to make the to make the assessment and make the change that that's necessary. Was it? A, d- did you find that people were resistant to even yeah. talking about these very fundamental <coughs> ideas? Initially, everybody was incredibly resistant. And the fact that there was a crisis meant that people were more resistant because they were holding on more strongly to whatever it was that they had left. Mm. Actually, waiting for a crisis is is definitely not the way to do this. It was just that the reality in NAPO was that's where we found ourselves. And initially, the resistance was, was enormous because people were were desperately holding on. 
um, to to what was left or what they were familiar with amongst all of this uncertainty. Unions are essentially or can be quite conservative organisations with a small c. We tend to think internally. Mm. We tend to copy the environments around us. Mm. We don't generally look up and look outside of our own organisations and mm. our own. Mm. And our culture is we resist change. So if our culture and our, you know what what some people see themselves as being is against stuff that's being done to the membership, then they will instinctively also be resistant to change. Mm. But part of if unions are going to be around for our grandchildren, you know, my 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 grandfather was one of my union heroes, I guess. If the union movement's going to be around for my grandchildren, then we need to start talking about what we're for as well as what we're against and start shaping the way in which we need to engage differently. I, I just <clears> want to interject. There's a paper that was written ages ago by a US academic called Ken Margulies and he talks, it's the only <coughs> paper I've ma- managed to find uh, that deals with leadership and management in unions and mm. he's pretty mm. much mm. says exactly what, what you're mm. saying, Dean. Mm. Listeners, if you know of any <coughs> relevant paper that we could find around this, do, do please let us know, because I have been searching the interwebs for a very long time. That's right. Info at unions21.org.uk is where to send your thought submissions and hopefully a link to mm. that elusive paper. Just send paper. me content, people. <laughs> but, but Dean, yeah. I, I, think, I think there's already consensus, uh, certainly around this table and hopefully amongst our listeners as well, that actually, yeah, we recognise that as the model, as, mm. as almost the, the unfortunate paradigm yeah. that we find ourselves in. How do you break right. out of it? So the first thing you have to do is recognise you have to you have to face the fear of change and explain why the well people people will get the need for change but you need to make sure that you connect what you are trying to do with the principles and the values of the union. I would say that a lot of what's gone wrong structurally and organisationally within the union movement is because there is a disconnect in practice between what people say their values and principles are and the reality on the ground. So, for example, NAPO, we were lucky that NAPO is a small organisation with uh, an AGM. It doesn't have great representative democracy structures that get in the way. And we were able to drill into the and redefine. We started by redefining the core principles of the union. And the core principle was involve and engage members directly as often and wherever possible. From that, we then looked at the values that we were trying to establish so that when we then talked about what it was we were trying to change, you could map both what we were doing against the principle of member engagement and then the values, how we were doing it, against the principles of the union. Um, eventually, we condensed that into an acronym, which was the PRIDE, Positive, Relevant, Inclusive, Demanding and Ethical, to capture those values. So it was, it was <coughs> sorry to interject, but it was, so it was an iterative process. You'd, you'd almost go around a, a, a continuous improvement loop, as, as it were, of, of <coughs> establishing something getting buy-in for it, consolidating it, using that as the base to go to the that, next stage. Yeah, that that was a sense. We it wasn't. It, yeah, kind of iterative. And um, we started off with the headquarters team. We started off with the staff because we had to start off with leadership um, to convince anyone else that the union could change. 
we had to start at the centre. And we started with the idea that everyone who was working at the headquarters was a leader within the organisation. And this was really interesting. And I think it was the it was the, the most critical piece that was the hardest piece to put in place. But it became the keystone of the change. And it was really what dramatically altered and shifted wow. the culture. So, so everybody, everybody was was positioned as a leader within the union. The principle was if a member picked up the phone and phoned their headquarters, then the person they were speaking to was a leader yeah. of the union because they were phoning the headquarters. Uh, yeah. But the people yeah. working at the centre didn't see themselves as that. What had happened, even within a union like NAPO with its AGM and its flat structures, we'd become very hierarchical. And when I started, I, I, I started and I asked people what they did around mm-hmm. the office, and most people told me who they worked to. So I worked mm. to That's this job. That is I worked really to that job. Isn't it? Yeah. And it was like this is not this just can't work. This is not um this is not productive. We were in a terrible office that was over four stories of an old townhouse. So you could you could be in the Big building. Down, it? You well you could you could be in the building and not see anyone. So the idea of team working mm. was impossible. Gosh, I, I so, just, yeah, so physical we, barriers to we, team working. Well, we, I mean, don't get me started <laughs> yeah. on the physical space. So, so we commissioned a cultural leadership programme where the whole staff got together over a series of days, which we brought somebody in from outside to help run, but I designed it with him, a guy called Andy Hollingsworth, who was fantastic. And everybody discussed what leadership was, discussed what culture was, and then discussed that in a NAPO context. And from that came up with a list of things that they thought needed to happen so that the union could improve. And I then took, we took those suggestions to the senior senior elected leadership of the union and said, if you want to be surviving, you have to take people with you. And this is what people are saying is needed. And the acting on that, so we moved headquarters. We talked about moving headquarters for years, but mm-hmm. it actually happened. We involved the staff in the design of the new building and, and how the work was laid out. We were all open plan working together. We reassigned, we redid job descriptions. One of the things we did was we looked at what wider skills people had and what wider interests we had. Now, I'm not, I'm not joking. We had somebody who was training to be a journalist, and I don't think she told anyone. Wow. She's yeah. now heading up our comms team. <laughs> I mean, because that's how it should be. Did everyone come <clears throat> with you on the journey or were there people who really, for whatever reason, didn't want to travel, as it were? There was more. I think everybody's got there in the end because we've carried on the journey. But I think if you were asking people to be more accountable for what they did, yeah. there was some nervousness about that. Mm. But we worked through that and showed them that as long as what we were doing and how we were measuring... Yeah. was based on the values and what they were doing was demonstrating an outcome for members that was yeah. tied to the principle yeah. of involving and engaging as many members as possible, then then it was difficult to resist. I was going to say, I think there's a difference in accountability between creating a culture where you can say, <clears throat> this didn't work, I tried my best, mm. we all agreed to try mm. this, it didn't mm. work... <clears throat> we move on versus a more punitive style yeah. of 
that's it, you're banished to Siberia. Well, appraisal. For a, any length of time. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I, I just... I know that in quite a few of the unions I've worked for, the the idea of accountability is much has been much more about give it a go and see, mm. and we all make mistakes. Versus in some other ones that I've seen, and never it's been like you, your, your head's on the chopping block. There's two parts to that. I think the first thing is that you need systems. Mm. You shouldn't be afraid of being of structure and systems if the structure and systems are there for a positive purpose and are aligned to your principles and your values. And a lot of unions don't have some of that. It's all a bit had ad hoc. Mm-hmm. The second thing that people do do respond to structure and systems because they know where they stand. Mm. The second thing is you need to remove some of the some of that kind of threat in any any organisation. Uh, HR, the thing that they get worst, the thing that they mess up the most and is the most poisonous for productivity and engagement is appraisal. Mm. Um, One of the things that I did during this process was I looked outside the union movement and I looked at what other successful member organisations were doing. Mm -hmm. And so I looked a lot at the third sector. And the best, one of the things that that struck me, again, about accountability was in the third sector, volunteers come along and two things happen first of all they tend to view their volunteers as part of their organization part of their structure and extension of the workforce even if they're not paying them so they include them in an appraisal and development model that is consistent so we looked at that and we developed a coaching model for appraisal based on outcomes that were aligned to the principles that we were trying to promote Mm. and a coaching model if it's genuine removes a lot of that threat Mm. because it's saying I'm accountable as well so if I'm your manager I'm accountable for what you achieve so I'm going to talk to you about what you need to do you can tell us what resources you have we can talk this through we can see what we're going to try and achieve we can do it on a project basis and then we can review as we go along yeah we then extended that to volunteer reps. So now the model that NAPA are developing and are rolling out, where we've done a big retraining exercise for all of our reps as well, is that the branches will develop a branch plan. So instead of a NAPO plan that's top down, the branches develop a branch plan in conversation with their HQ liaison workers. They identify what they need that comes into the center and the napo plan builds up from there and the role of the link officers and officials is to coach and support and develop the branch in that way and that's made that connection again and again it's quite hard to resist yeah but you must have some you must have had some branches who just say not going to engage in this too busy too busy doing other stuff head offices useless ivory tower not interested we do fine thanks very much goodbye so the wonderful thing about the training is and and you do have to be a bit innovative and a bit creative about some of this and you do have to take your opportunities where they come from and unions should be good at this because that's what we do in negotiation so um, is that how it works well that's how it's supposed to work yeah (laughs) so um so we saw a real we saw a real opportunity Um, GDPR came in as part of the data protection regulations and our insurers said you need to train all of your reps in something to do Mm. with GDPR. Nice. And so we used that to tell we used that to tell all of our reps that we needed to go through a training, a reaccreditation process. Yeah. 
And anyone who didn't go through the accreditation process, and we set a deadline of it's going to be May next year because we're still rolling this program out. Um, but anyone who doesn't go through the accreditation process will no longer be accredited and won't be able to act for NAPO. You disenfranchise and, yourself if you don't participate. Yeah. yeah. And what's been fantastic, and we've done 12 of these by the time I, I left last week. So we've, we've uh, so over half of the branches we've rolled this mod, these training out to now. And some of the names I was told before we started, um, oh, they won't like this, particularly the old ones, the ones who've been around, the ones who've heard some of this before. They've absolutely loved it. And they've Great. said, this right. is well, what's reinvigorated them. Because some of it, do you know, and, and this is, I think, the core nub of all of this, was saying they just want to be listened to. Yeah. And this is a listening exercise that's genuine. Because it's the centre saying, we haven't got this all right. We're coming out. We're listening to you. We're showing you what we're doing to help. We're putting in place some systems to help. But we know that you're the people on the front that are doing the key stuff. And this is about supporting you to do it better. What do you think we need to mm -hmm. do better? I, I think that <coughs> is the difference in, in culture. The difference between command and control and a more distributive way of... At, at talking to people and being with people mm. I often find that if you say to people you will do this look actually when I say <coughs> it when I talk to people let's put it on the head if somebody says to me Becky you have to do this you sh you do this and that's mm. it we mm. the chances are I am going to do my utmost to not do it because you are mm. trying to force me to do mm. it. I have been like this mm. since I was a small child and I am likely to change as my family stories will attest to this. However, if somebody says to me, how would you like, we, we think this needs to change, how would you like to be involved in the process and gives me some form of choice or some form of mm. ownership, mm. empowerment of mm. that, I'm much more likely to do the thing that even I might not want to do, but I can, it's talked yeah. through. And I think this might be where we, where we need to think as a movement about how we engage people and, and, we, and talk them through that change process. No? We, yeah. The, the one, the one key thing, the most important thing for union survival for the next 30 years is that we have to be listening organizations. You can't, you, you, you literally, in the 21st century, cannot say to people entering the workplace, we will be your voice in the workplace and not listen to what they have to say before you try and articulate it. And our structures and our systems, some unions more than others, clearly work against that. You say to an 18-year-old now, or, or my, my eldest is 20, so you say to a 20-year-old, they've gone through school, they've, they'll have elected their school council every year, they'll have been engaged in conversations about this stuff at the start of every year, they've certainly had a degree of training. You can be sceptical about how deep that is, but they've had some degree of training. The first place they will come where... It's not assumed that they have a voice is work, which is why unions are critical and, and will continue to be critical. But if you say to a 20 year old, we're your voice in the workplace and they go, great, where do I where do I join in? And you say, oh, well, you have to go to this meeting and then you have to stand for this committee and then you have to go on this meeting and this. And they're looking at you like you're mad. Mm -hmm. They expect to be able to, if you're going to be my voice, I want to tell you 
what I think, and then you go and say something along the lines of what I've just yeah. said to you. Yeah. We have to be able to genuinely open ourselves up and engage and listen. And it's not going to be what they tell us is nothing to fear because they're just it's just going to help us shape our messaging. It's not fundamentally changing our principles. Yeah, I just remembering a story. <clears throat> I got a telling off from my uh, negotiator for asking members what they wanted. And I was yeah. like, why? It's their pay claim. And he said, well, because they'll ask for 20% and that's unreasonable. They all came back with 5%. 5%. And they went, we know we won't get that. That's what we yeah. want to ask for. We know we'll get roughly 3%. I mean, listeners, this is obviously back in the day where we had decent pay rises. So, I mean, you know, take it as it, uh, take it as you will, you know. So, but it, it's at a very small level, it is about having that culture whereby you're just saying to people, well, what do you want? What's the thing you care about? Member-centred trade unionism, whatever next. Oh, well, there you go. So listen, Dean, I've had a few conversations over the past couple of weeks and possibly years with people who are wanting to do change in unions and Mm. they don't know how Mm. to make Mm. the start through the bureaucratic process, through the Mm. uh, culture that we have, et cetera, et cetera. What would you say would be the top three things that you would say to a union officer or a a union activist who wants to make a change process in their union. Okay. Well, one is not, the first one is not to hide from the people who want change and to talk to them about why and start with them because they'll be your allies. So find the people who are in favour of it first. Don't worry about who's opposed to it. Start by finding your allies and shaping what you're talking about and what you want to do in a way that they're going to get some support and get with you. And I think you'll be surprised. That's that's the first thing. The second one is align it to principles. And so when you're explaining what it is, it doesn't sound as daunting or it doesn't sound as much like change. It's more about reinvention and doing what we say we're trying to do better not confusing the way we've done something with a principle in itself so oh we're democratic unions and then you look at well how many people are voting in elections how many people are participating actually in these democratic structures is that really what we are it rather than listen, being listening organizations so that's the second one would be um explain what you're trying to do in a way that is less threatening and in a way that is aligned to securing what the union is now rather than, so you shift culture rather than try and change culture and then the third one i would say it's actually a combination of the two so one the third one would be context but um what i mean by context is that Billy Bragg says you you can borrow ideas, but you can't borrow situations. So what will work in one organisation? There's no model that you can lift and shift. But if you know your own organisation well enough, you should be able to adapt. And don't be afraid to look up and look outside. There is a lot that we can learn from good practice in other areas and in other organisations and other types of organisations. That wasn't rocket science. I've not invented this stuff. It's all stuff that's happening in any other kind of membership or engaged organisation except the trade union movement. So it was a bit radical for the trade union movement, but it's not radical anywhere else. And we don't need to be scared of it. Okay, finally, for this session, Dean, the radiographers, Society of Radiographers. New new sector, new challenges. Mm. 
what's your immediate set of priorities or view about about how that's going to be different from from probation? Well, um, they're a bigger organisation than NAPO, and it's a although the NHS obviously has its uh, issues, it's a more stable environment. So it'll be interesting in that sense to be looking at where they are. So the first the first thing I'll do is find out more about the organisation and, and get to know the organisation. Clearly, they've the, the second half of the job titles is industrial strategy and member relations. So they're clearly looking to this, but there isn't the hurry that there was in NAPO. So that's quite exciting. And for me, because obviously alongside that internal change, I was also, as at NAPO, uh, leading the industrial bargaining side where we did get pay reform in the middle of all this as well which was a fairly big boost for the members and the end what's particularly exciting for me about the role at uh, the society of radiographers is that the nhs is about the only bit of the public sector i've never worked in or, or been involved with so i like that new challenge that's going to be quite exciting well dean thanks very much for sharing your thank experiences you, about change with us and, and the very best of luck for the radiographers thank job. you thank you so just thinking about what we've heard from Dean and what we've heard from Betsy, Simon, what would be your main takeaways, do you think? I, I was very struck by the practical stuff that Dean talked us through that he'd done with the, with the probation officers, and in particular how he created an environment in, in which change was tangible and possible, and there was a the, the, the iterative process of mm. using language, setting it in context, setting out a vision that actually everyone could relate to and buy into, mm. and then consolidating that and moving on to the, ne the next stage and doing that time and time yeah. and time again until yeah. you reach an, an end point. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. He said, he talked about there being shifts in culture, not a change in culture. And maybe as somebody who's a bit more revolution than evolution, that's a thinking point for me is that actually culture tends to change bit by bit over time rather than it just be a pure kind of bob it and start start again um i thought it was really interesting to hear betsy talk about what is it that you want to achieve what do you want the impact to be because if you know what it is ultimately you want to try to achieve you can then move things around to enable you to do that it change can't happen in a vacuum it ha there has to be kind of a reason for it and really that reason for us i think should be our impact well, the, the, the facts speak for themselves, of course. Declining union density, declining coverage of collectively agreed terms, terms and conditions of employment, a hostile environment. Labour mm. is scarce. Mm. So actually, why aren't wage rates rising mm. faster than they are? I mean, mm. they're still not above the pre-crash pre levels. Yeah. But there are all sorts of like social good issues as, as well. If you, yeah. if, you, if you take the view that we do, and presumably listeners, you do as well, that unions are a force for good, then how do you maximise the impact that that, that that can have? That's why change is necessary. Yeah, but change is really hard because when we're used to something being a certain way, to do something different can be a scary process. Most of us don't like change. Most of us don't like to do things entirely differently. We like to stay in, in what we feel comfortable with. And sometimes what we feel comfortable with isn't getting the results for members and so that's a real challenge about how we we do that it, it is a, it is a real challenge because actually you don't get people to come with you by by hectoring them or shouting at them no but at the same same time you know i mean it can be very very comfortable you know snuggled in a very thick warm blanket but actually in the end that would smother you and suffocate you so you know 
you've got to try and find a way a way to move uh, yeah i don't want to be smothered by a blanket <laughs> uh, listeners we want to hear from you have you had experience of change within a union have you tried to change your union and how has it worked or not worked what what are your reflections on that as ever contact us over at info at unions21.org.uk or you can find us on twitter at unions21 we'd like to hear from you Indeed, and to find out more about what we do at Unions 21 generally, you can visit our website, which is www.unions21.org.uk. But until the next episode, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The Unions 21 podcast is presented by Becky Wright and Simon Saffer. It is a Makes You Think production.